Last week we started our new series we're calling Lost, and we said that it's possible to get lost in any area of life. You can get lost relationally, vocationally, you can get lost uh, emotionally, spiritually, and then we, we also talked about you can get lost financially, and we found out that Jesus said more about getting lost financially than he did all of those other areas combined. If you add up all of his all the verses that he talked about the different things in life, um, the number one concern that, that he seemed to have was this area of being lost financially. And there's a reason. Jesus doesn't want your money. And everybody say, I know that's right, baby. Say it like you mean it. Jesus doesn't want your money. And there's a reason. He wants your heart. Now, um, nobody's jumping up and down for that one. Jesus wants your heart, and He knows, we learned this last week, He knows that the number one competition for your heart is money. And that's why He uh, spoke so much about it. And that was some pretty heavy stuff. And, and some of you here aren't really convinced yet that you're lost. Well, let me help you be convinced. Some of you are living in denial. And so I want to ask you a few questions. How many of you know, and you don't have to raise your hand on this because some of you would be lying just to say you're not lost. But anyway, how many of you know exactly how much money you made, don't raise your hand, in the last month? How, okay, two of you, three of you, okay. Um, how many of you know exactly how much money you spent in the last month? If there's any doubt, you're lost. Um, if you don't know, how many of you, when you come to April 15th every year and you write down how much money your job says you made and you look at that figure and you go, there's no stinking way. If you've ever done that and then you thought, where did it all go? What do I have to show for all of that work from last? If that's you, if you've ever said that, then, then you're lost financially. Um, some of you are saying, why do I have so much pressure financially? It's because you're lost. If you've ever asked, um, why is it sometimes I feel so generous and I want to give, I really want to give to certain causes, but when it comes time to write the check, I can't follow through? It's because you're lost financially. Um, if you've ever said, I don't know what to do financially, then you're lost. And if you've ever said, I sure wish I had started paying attention to finances years ago, then you're lost financially. And uh, we're going to talk about how you get lost financially today, and we're going to show you an example here of how one family got lost financially. Alright, we have enough for this one. But that one we just don't have the money for. Oh, that sounds so high anyway. Well, you get a view. Alright, so where's this credit fairy of yours? I think you just finished raiding our fridge. Is there our food? Look on our food! Look at what I have that I paid! That's not very nice. Why is it look of concern? Look here. You are getting very seedy. You're right. 
You will not listen to this woman. I never have. You will listen only to me. We almost didn't get that filmed. We almost just had to show you all of the stuff where we laughed so much because we couldn't get it done. So anyway, if you've ever put stuff on the credit card because you just couldn't afford it with cash, you're lost. So let me show you how people get lost. We said last week that you can get lost either by having a good roadmap and ignoring it or you have a bad roadmap. Today we're going to talk about the bad roadmap. And everybody I've known who's ever gotten lost financially has used this roadmap. Check this out. We're going to put this up on the screen for you. Here's what they say. Spend it. Repay debt. Pay taxes. Save it and give it. Now some of you are looking at that list and your first reaction might be, what's wrong with that? And, And I would just say nothing if you want to get lost. If you're like most people, you save and you give what's left over. And and if you are honest about it, what that means is you are robbing from your future and you're robbing from God if you save and give what's left over. Um, so is that the wise thing to do, to rip God off and rip off your future? No, it's not the wise thing to do. So if you want to find financial freedom, that's what we're talking about on Sunday nights, financial freedom, this is the wrong roadmap. Today we're going to discover that that right roadmap. And, you know, when I've talked to people, nobody I've ever met planned to get lost financially. Nobody planned to fail financially. They just didn't plan not to. And last weekend, we had over 50 people here on Sunday night who drew a line in the sand and said, enough, I'm not going to be lost financially anymore. And whenever we have people get excited about things, you know, spiritually, when they get excited about the things of God, doing things God's way, I get excited because spiritual growth comes when you um, understand God's position. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Those of you who came last last Sunday night and, and started on this financial peace journey, you are going to have less financial stress in your marriage. You are going to set an example for your children. And, and you're going to uh, free up your future by doing things God's way. And that gets me excited. And we're going to have some people do some major spiritual growth over these next 13 weeks. And anytime a group of people get excited about the things of God, I get excited. Um, see, God is interested in every area of your life. And, and if you'll pay attention on Sundays, we usually talk about some area of life. Anything that, that relates to families, we say is fair game on a Sunday. So in the last year alone, we've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about parenting, marriage, sex, simplifying your life, serving the role of fathers, prejudice, life after death, purpose in life, and divorce. We've talked about all of those things. Nothing is taboo if it affects families. And we've we've found out that God is interested in all areas of our lives. And if God is interested in every area of our lives, why would he not be interested in money? And, And see, this is probably the most important issue because what we said last week was the number one competition for our hearts is money. That's why God takes it so seriously. So I want to give you just a quick little, little, little peek into what we do as a church. Every week, I spend time, I spend effort trying to help you, number one on your listening guide, see as God sees. Because I really believe if you see as God sees, it's going to change your thinking. God is your creator. He has a plan. He has a roadmap for your life. And every time we discover if we had followed God's roadmap, we wouldn't have gotten lost in the first place. So what I want to do every week is, number one, help you see as God sees. 
Um, I desperately want you to do that because it changes your thinking. If you see as God sees, it changes your thinking, which changes your actions, which changes your destiny. Your actions determine your destiny. Your destiny will impact future generations. So I want you to see as God sees because I believe when you do, then you're going to do as God says. That's the second thing on your listening guide. What we do on Sundays affects you. It affects your family. And someday down the road, it's going to impact their family as well. That's why preachers take their job seriously, not themselves. You won't see many preachers dressing up as the credit fairy unless they don't take themselves too seriously. So I want you to see as God sees today because I believe when you do, you're going to do as God says. Financial peace is a direct result of seeing as God sees and doing as God does. So let's see what God thinks about money. And by the way, you have a memory verse card. Let me see your memory verse cards. Everybody have one. You did really well. I only found one on the parking lot last week. So you you made me think that you made it to the car. I don't know. They could have been in the trash. But at least get them out of here. Don't leave them on your chair. Now, here's here's the deal. More than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then other things will be yours as well. God wants us to completely flip, completely change the roadmap that I put up there, the roadmap that the world tells you to, to use. God wants to flip that. And, and if you look at this verse, he says, if you will flip it upside down and put God's work first, then all the other things will be yours as well. He makes this huge promise. Other things will be yours as well. Well, the other things means the stuff of life that we usually spend all of our time and our energy pursuing so that God's kingdom gets ripped off. The other things means the things we eat. The other things means where we live. The other things means what we wear. The other things means all of that stuff that consumes our lives, our finances, so that God only gets the leftovers and our savings gets the leftovers. And what Jesus is doing here is he's offering us a deal or a dud. I don't know if you if you watch Fox uh, Channel 4 News out of Dallas. Every once in a while, they'll, Steve Noviello will have deal or dud, and it'll be some new gadget. And whatever the gadget is, if a cooking gadget, he'll find some professional cook, and he'll go and ask them to evaluate it. And if it's something else, like last week, there was a deal or a dud, and it was this fabric glue. And so they went to this guy who was a fashion designer, and they said, we want to show you this fabric glue, and you tell us whether this is a deal or a dud. And so he goes through all of the tests, and he, he checks it out. And at the end... The guy says whether it's a deal or dud. If it's a deal, they say it's a deal. And so they tell you to go buy it. If it's a dud, they say it's a dud. Don't buy it. And in this instance, the fabric uh, glue was a deal. It got two thumbs up. Well, Jesus is offering you a deal or a dud here. He's saying if you'll put his kingdom first, then he'll be involved, personally involved in your finances in the future. And so here's the roadmap God wants us to use. It is completely opposite of the one I showed you before. Give it, save it pay taxes, repay debt, and then spend it. When you use God's roadmap, what you're saying is, Father, I want to make your priorities number one in my life, and then I'll live on the leftovers. And some of you are going, oh, that doesn't sound too good. But but what you're saying is, give some, save some, blah, 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 and then God will magically appear in my checkbook at the end of the month and stretch everything. Well, not exactly. God's roadmap is give it, save it, pay taxes, repay debt, and spend it. That's how he wants us to handle money. That's how he views money. But why? God always has a why for the way he tells us to do things in the scripture. And here it is, Matthew 6, 21. This was your your, uh, memory verse from last week that all of you have memorized. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. In other words, Jesus is saying, follow the money trail and you'll find a person's heart. You'll find out what's really important to them. You'll find out what they are loyal to if you follow the money trail. 
So with that in mind, knowing that wherever your money goes, your emotions and, and your attention is going to follow, um, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told today. And a parable is just, it's a story that Jesus tells that has a real life meaning. And I'm just going to warn you up front, the parable that we read, it is not what you think it is. The, the real life meaning is nowhere to be found. And so Jesus actually has to explain it because we're all dense. His followers were dense. We're, we're dense. And so he explains it for us. I'm just going to tell you up front, this is not a normal parable. Let's look at it. Luke 16, chapter 1, uh, 16, verse 1. Jesus told this story to his disciples. A rich man hired a manager to handle his affairs, but soon a rumor went around that the manager was thoroughly dishonest. So you got this big rich guy. He's got to be rich if he's hiring somebody to handle all of his financial stuff. He hired a financial planner. Well, let's look about the financial planner. He was, uh, but soon a rumor went around that the manager, the financial planner, planner was thoroughly dishonest. So his employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about your stealing from me? Get your report in order because you are going to be dismissed. The manager thought to himself, now what? That's very important. Now what? I'm through here and I don't have the strength to go out and dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. The big question is, now what? And this guy's pretty smart. Um, he, he's realizing that when the boss says you're through here, that means you're going to get fired. So he realizes he has a couple of things and he starts thinking about his future and he's thinking, how can, how can I prepare for my future so it's better than, than what I, uh, what is going to happen when I get fired? And he realized he had two things. And these, by the way, are the same two things that you have. Every one of us has these two things, same thing that this dishonest manager, this dishonest financial planner had in the Bible. First thing is he had a little bit of time. He had just a little bit of time to figure out what he was going to do so that he could prepare for the future. And he had a little bit of opportunity, a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity. And this is huge. And I want you to remember this. When we read the rest of this parable, remember, he had a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity. And this guy was very practical. He knew that he couldn't dig ditches and he wasn't about to beg. And so what was he going to do with the time and the opportunity that he had in front of him? Let's continue. Verse four. I know just the thing, he said, and then I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me when I leave. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Let's say 10 grand. So the manager said, tear up that bill and write, uh, write one for 400 gallons or 5 grand. So he cut it in half. That's a pretty good deal. I would love it if Bank of America would call me up and say, whatever you owe on your house, just cut that in half. That would be a deal. I would like that. So, and how much do you owe? He asked another one. How much do you owe my employer? Uh, he asked the next man. A thousand bushels of wheat was the reply. Here, the manager said, take your bill and replace it with one for only 800 bushels. All right, so the gist of the story is the dishonest money manager, financial planner, gives everyone who owes his, his boss something, he gives them a discount on what they owe. And, and at this point in the story, everyone's listening to Jesus and they're going, oh, Jesus is going to unload on the dishonest guy. The hammer's about to fall. And they're thinking, this dude's going to get it. He's going to get thrown in jail. He's going to get tortured. Something's going to happen before he gets fired. And then a twist comes in. And you see, every time Jesus told a story, people were listening and they would start thinking, okay, uh, that person, that must be God in the story. And this person, that must be the devil in the story. And this person, oh, that's me. But in this story, people are sitting around going, who's God? Who, who am I? Is God the, the wealthy guy? What's going on here? And so Jesus has to explain. Verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Are you kidding me? 
the rich guy admires the dishonest cheat for being shrewd. He's a shrewd dude. I mean, the way it says it there, the rich man admired the dishonest rascal. Come on, Jesus, that can't be the end of the story. And it's not. Here comes the point. I don't want you to miss this. The point of the story, don't ever let somebody tell you that the point of the story is commending a dishonest cheater. That is not the point of the story. Okay, so what is it? I want you to look at the rest of the passage. Jesus continues. And it is true that the citizens of this world are more shrewd than the godly are. We're going to talk about that. I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. In this way, your generosity stores up for you in heaven. For years, I struggled with this because, you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, if you have a rule, follow it. I I don't like playing games sometimes because people bend the rules. and, And, you know, if there's not a rule, okay, we can all get away with that. But if there's a rule, I want you to follow the rule. And this was a rule, you know, that you didn't cheat your your boss. And so I I struggled with this for years because I thought Jesus should just plaster the guy. But the bigger point is Jesus is saying, here it is. I wish the people of God were as shrewd, not dishonest, as shrewd, as cunning, would think about the future as much as the people of this world do. Um, You know, he's saying, Wake up, people of God. You have a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to make a difference in this world. If Christians were as shrewd, as wise as the guy in the story, we would realize we have a little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity to make an impact that lasts beyond our lifetime. And and we talk about this all the time. That's the point of the story. We want to make a difference in the future. Those of us who are believers, followers of Christ, need to learn from the dishonest guy. And let's be honest. The dishonest guy, unless he changes, unless he changes his heart and asks Jesus to be the forgiver of his sins and the leader of his life, he's bound for hell. So we don't want to go there. We don't want to follow that roadmap. So what do we do? We try to figure out limited time, limited opportunity. What in the world can I do? What in the world can I do to prepare not only for my future in this world, but for my future in the next world? Now, what we're going to do, how we're going to do that is we are going to learn from the dishonest guy, but we're going to learn how God sees money. Remember I said I want you to see as God sees so that you are more likely to do as God says. Well, how does God see money? There are three ways that God sees money. First, when God sees your temporary stuff as a tool. Now, I, I try to give you the most clear and concise translations every time I put Bible verses up here. But I always am looking through things, and and this morning I pulled out my New American Standard, which is one of the most literal translations from the Greek New Testament into English. And sometimes when it's literal, you can't fully understand it because our word syntax is different than than other languages. But I was reading this, and I want to point this out to you, and I'm going to give you just a little bit of my translation because otherwise it's hard to understand. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness. Y'all use that phrase all the time, right? The mammon of... All mammon means is stuff. And, and unrighteousness, all he's talking about is temporary. So let's, let's read it like that. Make friends for yourselves by means of the temporary. And here it is. This, this just blows my mind. And this is when we don't see as God sees, we don't do as God says. That when it fails, when what fails? The temporary. Okay? Make friends by means of the temporary, so that when the temporary is gone, they, who they, the new friends you made because of the temporary, might receive you into eternal dwellings. Excuse me? Okay. 
as clear as I can make it. We're to use our temporary stuff so that when our time on this earth is done, if you're a follower of Christ, we have this promise that we get to go live with God in heaven. When you walk into uh, that dwelling place, this incredible place that the Bible talks about with streets of gold and, and this huge mansion that God has prepared, when you walk into that place, somebody, if you've used your temporary for what's eternal, someone is going to walk up to you and they're going to say, Hey, Doug, I'm Jim Bob. And I figured that's a good East Texas name. Jim Bob, you don't even know me, but I'm here because you exchanged some of your temporary stuff for my permanent future. Your temporary stuff can have eternal value when you see as God sees and when you do as God says. You begin to ask, how can I use my temporary stuff for eternal impact? I think everybody here has a house. You may not have electricity. Zach still doesn't have electricity, but you have a house. You begin to ask, how can I use my house to make friends and influence people? But it's not just in this life. I'm trying to make friends and influence people in the next life. We have people uh, host small groups in their homes. That's eternal. We're fixing up a game room at our house for two reasons. One, we want our kids to always have a place to come. But you know the other reason that we're fixing up this game room? So that anytime the youth group needs it, we're there. Janie already told them, she said, y'all call on me because I'm one of those, I'm one of those uh, parents that will do anything you ask me to do to help out the youth group. She said, I, we are doing this. We have kids over here. We want to waste our house on teenagers, which is going to happen so that somehow in the future, somebody's going to be in heaven. They're going to say, oh, you used your temporary stuff for what was eternal. And, and if you are a follower of Christ, and if you are here, huh, that's everybody, somebody did it for you. Somebody somewhere in your past, if you are a follower of Christ, or if you are sitting in this building today, somebody in the past exchanged temporary so that you could be here, so that new life would be here when you showed up. If you are a follower of Christ, somebody in your past exchanged the temporary for eternal. Somebody did it for you, and now it's your turn. New life started as a bunch of poor people who wanted to make an eternal difference. And, and when I mean poor, we, we had to find a place that was rent-free because we didn't have jack. And even when we first started, we couldn't accept contributions because we hadn't been organized as a church. We didn't have our articles of incorporation. So, like, you know, you talk about frustrating. We had a pile of checks that we couldn't deposit in the bank because we didn't have our, our articles of incorporation. That's kind of tough to live. Um, eventually, we, we were affiliated with the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, um, partly because... I identify with the, their theology, with Baptist theology. The way we do things is definitely not Baptist, but, but what we believe is Baptist. And the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention for two years gave us $1,200 a month to help us reach people who are far from God. Why would they do it? Because they're exchanging some temporary stuff for the eternal. $28,800 the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention gave to New Life Community Church to help us survive so that we would be here when some of you showed up. And we give every month, we give some money to our local association, which goes to help churches, and we give some money to the Southern Baptist Convention. Some of that money goes to other churches just like us that are starting up around Texas and around the United States and around the world that are, that are there hoping to reach people who are far from God. We give back to that. 
But but that's not all. There's another family who has been here one time in six years. One time they've been to our service in six years. And I calculated up. They have given over $20,000 to New Life Community Church over the last four years. Why would somebody do that? They've got to be insane. It's because they see money as God sees it. And they believe what we're doing is necessary. They go to one of the most traditional churches in the world. They've been here. They said, we love what you're doing, but it's not for us. But they've contributed over 20 grand because they believe what we're doing and they see money the way God sees money. There's another family that used to be a member here. They've been gone for four years, every month for four years. And it still occurs today. There'll be a time I'll go out to the mailbox. There'll be a check in the mailbox. No letter or anything. Every once in a while, there'll be a little note. But it just there's a there's a check written out to New Life Community Church. In four years, they've given over $30,000 to a church they do not attend. Why would somebody do that? It's because they see money as God sees money. They see stuff as God sees stuff. And they want new life to be here when folks like you show up. But it's not just people that aren't here. People that are here. I told you we were poor people. And and some of us had debt. And and on our four-year anniversary, I interviewed Wes and Jen. At one point in, in their marriage, they had 20... $8,000, something like that, $28,000 in credit card debt. And when we interviewed them, they had gotten it down to just a little bit. And then about eight months later, they had paid off all of their credit card debt. At the same time they were paying off their credit card debt, they gave over $10,000 to New Life Community Church. At the end of the interview, I said, isn't that kind of stupid to pay down $28,000? You had ten grand over here that you could have put on debt. I mean, Dave Ramsey would say, put it on there. Isn't that stupid? And they said, no. Why would they do that? Because they see money as God sees money, and they were exchanging temporary for eternal. And one of the sweetest things, um, Janie and I were talking about this today. It's not, it's not just people giving great sums of money. There was a couple, and, and they're no longer here. They've, they've moved. Um, but we used to get this check, 80 bucks, Every two weeks, sometimes it's 80 bucks a month. And Janie would sometimes, you know, as she's recording it, putting it in the computer, she she would just kind of stop. And I'd say, what's the matter? And, and she'd look at me and there'd be a tear coming down her cheek. And I'd say, is it that bad? <laughs> Finances are that bad? She goes, no, this is the sweetest thing I've ever seen. Because if you're giving 160 bucks a month, that means you're making 1600 a month. And you're not living on 1600 a month. That means you're giving up something so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. That's a big deal. You cannot lose when you see money the way God sees money. And you use money the way God says use money. God says don't waste it. Use it better. So we got to ask, how can I use my stuff, my temporary stuff, to make an eternal difference? You view your money as a tool. That's how God views it. Here's another view. Luke 16, 10 through 12. Unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's money, why should you be trusted with money of your own? Now, the whole deal is everything you have belongs to God. And I'm going to bring that verse in next week. Everything you have belongs to God. You don't own any of it. If you owned it, you could take it with you. If you owned it, you wouldn't need a will so that when you die, when you die, it will be distributed as you want it to be distributed and the government won't take the vast majority of it. 
If you owned it, you could take it with you. So you're just using it. It's temporary. So God sees it as a tool. But the second thing is God sees money as a test. I mean, it says right here, if you haven't been faithful with property, with money, with cars, with stuff, who in their right mind is going to show up at your doorstep and give you more besides the U.S. government who keeps bailing out all of these failed financial things? That's another story. Um, but in real life, for us, nobody's going to show up at your house if you've misused all the stuff. That, nobody's going to walk up and just give you free stuff. And God says, if you can't handle money, tangible money, stuff, God says, I can't trust you with what's really important. Well, what's really important? Eternal. God says, I'm not going to give you the true riches of heaven because I'm watching. Now, if you've ever been to a lake day, people take expensive temporary stuff to the lake and let you play on it, right? I mean, there's some some high-dollar toys we take to the lake. And some people don't respect high-dollar toys that other people own. And they're, we're tempted at times to say, forget it. If, if people are going to treat our stuff like that, forget it. We're not doing it anymore. But then somewhere in the conversation, this happens every time, somewhere in the conversation, one of us will hear God's voice say, your stuff isn't the point. Their eternal salvation is more important than a $10,000 toy. And somewhere we remind each other that, okay, we've got to keep on doing it. And so people do this. They give up gas and, and you know, we, we charged a little bit this last time for gas. We didn't even come close to covering the gas cost. But that's not the point. People use their temporary stuff so that some of you might come to church because you never thought that a church could have fun and smile and do anything that might cause you to think better about life. And we do that. I mean, we've been doing that since we started as a church. We used to meet in, in a uh, computer shop and we would line up and, and, you know, you've heard Jason and Danae talk about that. They were tricked into coming to church the first time because we had a lake day. They thought they were going to the lake. They didn't know they were going to have to sit through church. And, and here they are. And Jason's preached many times. They've shared their, their testimonies about what God's done in their life because some people took their temporary and exchanged it for eternal. Your stuff reveals who can be trusted and who can't. And God sees everything you have as a tool and as a test. And then the, here's the third thing. God sees money as a trademark. Luke 16, 13 to 14 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then look at verse 14. The Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of the Jewish kingdom, Look how they responded to what Jesus, the Son of God, had to say about stuff. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, naturally scoffed. Another translation says they sneered at Jesus. I know you talk to us about our stuff. The religious leaders thought that was the point of life, was to get more toys and rip off people in their congregations so that they could have more stuff. They love money. And Jesus teaches us that the way you use your stuff tells everyone around you. It is, it's, this, it's this brand, the trademark. It's like a brand seared on your heart or maybe even seared on your forehead that tells everybody whose you are. God sees money as a trademark because you're letting everybody know by the way you use your money 
whose you are. The borrower will be slave to the lender. I mean, Dave talks about that, but that's straight out of Scripture. That's not original with Dave Ramsey. That's original with God. The borrower will become the lender's slave. And the way you use money reveals to everybody whose you are. People consume themselves into financial ruin. They never, never do people follow God's roadmap into financial ruin. doesn't happen. You don't find generous people that are doing things by God's roadmap who are in financial ruin. This does not happen when we do things God's way. So God says, you got a little bit of this. Somebody's saying, I got a very little bit. Looks like a bunch because there's a bunch of ones. You got a little bit of this, a little bit of this. Wise people use it to last for eternity. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? 